So Psalm 62, we come to this psalm, and we want to look at the context of it. We want to understand what's going on as David cries out to the Lord in this psalm. And, and verse 3 and 4 really tells us uh, the setting of this. Uh, verse 3, David writes, how long will you attack a man? And then if you skip there to verse 4, he says, they only consult to cast him down from his oh, high position. They delight in lies. They bless him with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. And as we come to this psalm, we see that David is in the midst of being slandered by men who bless him to his face while inwardly they are cursing him and then gathering together in groups uh, behind his back to lie about him. And let me ask you this question, has that ever happened to you? Where people are blessing you to your face, cursing you inwardly, ever have a group of people get together and lie about you? Uh, If it hasn't, then you are greatly blessed. If it hasn't, we'll give it time because this behavior is on the uptick. And that's not my opinion, it's biblical. Because as we look through these Psalms, uh, you know, the last uh, 15, 20 weeks or so, uh, we have come to this verse in Matthew 24 many times because so many of these Psalms talk about betrayal and these types of things. And in Matthew 24, 10, when Jesus was asked what would be the sign of his coming in the end of the age, he said, many will be, def- will be offended and betray one another and hate one another. And it, 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 you see that going on in our culture, uh, that betrayal, that again, hypocrisy that just seems to have captured this age that we are living in. It's a sad thing. And, um, you know, it, we, we, we see these things and we go through th- these things. Let me ask you another question, though, with that question being asked. Let me ask you this. Have you ever done that to someone else? Where you've been the one who you've blessed them to their face, but inwardly you're cursing them. Have you ever gathered around with others with the purpose, maybe just for that little conversation of talking about someone else. Before you say no, the Bible addresses this. And if you're saying no, the Bible says the answer is actually yes, that we have done this. Ecclesiastes 7.21 says, Also do not take to heart everything people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. For many times also your heart has known that even you have cursed others. And I know someone step back and say, Well, that doesn't apply to me because I don't have any servants. And just in case that's you thinking that, James 3.8 says, But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father. And with it we, we, that's collectively all of us, we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. And listen, with that said, there's a lot for us to pay attention to in this psalm. There's a lot for us to consider on both ends of this on the end of us being the ones that would walk in hypocrisy of blessing someone to their face while we're cursing them in our hearts or gathering together with others to, you know what, lie or, you know, build a strong man, straw man concerning someone else where maybe you take a smidget of truth and then you build things around it that aren't true. Oftentimes done to comfort ourselves or just to gather together, not in the name of the Lord, but in the name of the flesh. And we're going to see rebuke to that this morning. And we want to take that to heart. We want to be a people that are getting our tongues tamed. And that only happens when our heart gets tamed. We'll look at that side of this. We'll also again look at the side of this, of of being slandered and being talked about and being persecuted. 
And, and throughout this, and notice the title of the message, David says, he is my defense. And in all of this, we don't see David defending himself, but we see him as a type of Christ uh, when he went to the cross and Jesus, you know, remained silent in the midst of those accusations of what happened. The father defended him. And that's a hard thing to do. That's a difficult thing to do. Because I don't know about you, but when someone throws a rock at me, my, my first reaction is I won't pick that rock up. In fact, I won't pick a bigger rock up and I'm going to throw it back. And so it takes a huge step of faith to say, I'm going to trust in him. He's my salvation. He's my defense and so forth. And I think we'll get great encouragement and truth in our hearts to help us with that as we look at this psalm. In fact, let's read the psalm together, uh, starting here in verse 1, and then we'll dive right into it with these things uh, before us in this setup. It says, To the chief musician, a Jeduthun, to Jeduthun, a psalm of David. Truly my soul silently waits for God. From him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. How long will you attack a man? You shall be slain, all of you, like a leaning wall and a tottering fence. They only consult to cast him down from his high position. They delight in lies. They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. My soul waits silently for God alone, for my expectation is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. And God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Verse 8, trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Surely men of a low degree are a vapor. Men of high degree are a lie. If they are weighed on scales, they are altogether lighter than a vapor. Do not trust in oppression, nor vainly hope in robbery. If riches increase, do not set your heart on them. God has spoken once, twice. I have heard this, that power belongs to God. Also to you, O Lord, belongs mercy. For you render to each one according to his work. Now notice how we start here. It's an introduction. And we've talked a lot about these introductions. We've talked a lot about the chief musician in times past. We see this starting to the chief musician, and then we see an actual chief musician name by name. There were quite a few of them in the day of Daniel, if you re, or in the day of David. If you read through Chronicles, uh, especially uh, where a lot of the genealogy is listed, you'll see a lot of these chief musician name by name, and you'll see the name of Jeduthun listed more than once as you go through uh, Chronicles. And so Jeduthun was being singled out in this to the chief musician to Jeduthun. And it's interesting with Jeduthun, we don't know a whole lot about him uh, other than he is a chief musician and was involved in worship. But his name does tell us something about him because Jeduthun, it means the praising one. And these names of the Old Testament oftentimes were prophetic. Oftentimes we see even names changed after someone's character is established or God brings a change in their life. And what a wonderful name to have, the praising one. And I think about Jeduthun, and it was probably one of those guys when people saw him coming, they said, oh, here comes Jeduthun. I bet he'll be singing praises to God as he comes. And sure enough, I, I would venture to think because of his name, more often than not, he would be coming and you'd hear him, hear him giving praise and glory to God, being a praising one to the Lord. I, I really don't believe that it was limited to when he was leading the congregation in worship. I don't think it was a thing of, I got to put on my worship face now because I'm with a group of people. Um, in fact, the Holy Spirit moving on David to list him here, 
Jeduthun, he's the one that I want to come and lead the congregation and worship with this psalm. It's the Lord bearing witness that he was a worshiper of the Lord. And listen, we want to grab that and we want to take that to heart and ask the question, am I a praising one? Am I a one that when people see me coming, are they, are they going to think, oh, I'm going to hear maybe not necessarily song, but some praise to God, some mention of the Lord, what God's doing and so forth? Or is that a thing that only happens maybe when we're in a Christian circle and that's expected of us? If that's the case, listen, we want to grow beyond that this morning. We want to be people that are marked as praising ones, as different. In fact, even as we talk about the tongue, we read there, you know, in James about the tongue. And it says there, with the tongue we curse men. And at the same time, with the tongue we praise God. And it shouldn't be the case. And James talks about a spring of water that doesn't put out fresh water and salt water. It should be one or the other. And I would just pray for myself. My prayer would be for us that all the more there'd be more and more fresh water. More and more praise to God and less and less of that salty water, that dirty water of cursing men. Can we say amen to that this morning? Now notice how he starts the psalm here. And again, this is in the midst of slander. This is in the midst of men that are blessing David to his face, but cursing him in their heart. And remember, David as king had a lot of people around him. And not only were there, again, people around him that were doing this, but there were people around him, no doubt, that were informing him that these things were going on, reporting it back to the king. And so he says here, truly my soul silently waits for God, from him comes my salvation. So again, he's saying this again in the midst of slander and lies that are meant to hurt him. And notice what David first and foremost does. And and we need to take this to heart right here. When we're in that place where we know there's a hypocrisy against us, where there is this, you know what, blessing to the face, the cursing behind the back, where there's people gathering together, speaking lies, or building a straw, straw man, when you take maybe a smidget of truth, and then you begin to build this unrighteous case against somebody, what does David do first and foremost? He doesn't run and begin to gather men to himself. He doesn't, you know, begin to plot and plan his defense. But first and foremost, where does he go? First and foremost, he goes to God. Again, truly, my soul silently waits for God. And so in his soul, uh, and, and, and listen, this is a picture of him going out and in, in, in wanting to really pour his heart out to God. That soul is the depth of our person. I want to bring the depth of my person, who I really am, before God Almighty, and I want to wait on him. I want to do it silently. And this is a picture of David going to his prayer closet with Bible in hand to wait upon the Lord. To wait silently and to do that i know myself i got to get away from distractions that means i got to turn the cell phone off it means that you know what i i got to put it on vibrate and ignore the text messages you know coming in it means it's not time to check emails and so forth and and i kind of laugh when i when i had that thought because every week we have pastor prayer of you know of, in, in our office on on tuesday morning and it's like clockwork we'll sit there and we'll talk about things and then almost every single week we'll begin to pray as soon as we begin to pray the phone will ring as soon as we begin to pray someone will come in as soon as we pray someone's cell phone will go off it's just like clockwork and we all just look at each other and we start laughing you know and you know we got to fight it even more today to find those times of silence before god almighty jesus has instructed us to do this matthew 6 6 but when you but you when you pray go into your room 
And when you have shut the door, pray to your father who is in the secret place, and your father who is in secret will reward you openly. So David's first move in the midst of these plots and plans and slander is to say, I need to go and get alone with God. I need to get to a silent place before God Almighty. And as we compare scripture with scripture and we see many of these psalms that David wrote, absolutely we see time and time again when these types of things would come against David and he would go on to pray before God. He would start with worship to God, but then he would soon move to God, asking God for, for God to examine him, uh, to, to say, Lord, you know what, is there truth in these things? Uh, is there truth in these things being spoken about me? We never want to move to that place of, well, they're talking about me, and I know that I'm absolutely right in all things, and they're absolutely wrong, and the fact that they're doing that shows I'm right when in the reality of things, maybe we have sin in our life. Now, they might not be handling it the right way on their end. They may not be taking the biblical steps of coming to you in love. It might be putting a feather in their cap or making them feel better about themselves and their sin. But ultimately, that's between them and the Lord. And we don't want anything between us and the Lord. And this is where we got to step back and we got to be honest with ourselves. We got to be honest before the Lord. We need to pray that prayer in Psalm 139, 23, where David says, search me, O God. And know my heart, try me, know my anxieties, see if there's any wicked way in me, and lead me into the everlasting way. Um, our first response from the attacks of men should not be, again, they're wrong, I'm right, but Lord, is there any truth in these matters? Is there any truth to what's being said? And if there is any truth to it, notice he says, truly my soul silently waits for God, from him comes my salvation. And of course, when we think of salvation, oftentimes our mind first and foremost goes to the saving of our souls, right? When we called out to Christ for salvation, when we went from that place of serving our own belly to being followers of Christ and went from being under the law to being under grace. But there's an ongoing salvation in the sense of we're told to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And I believe that's a picture of us being saved practically from ourselves God molding us and God shaping us and so forth so as he says here from him comes my salvation when we consider our own walk and if we see things there that aren't measuring up to God's standards that maybe have been hurting others that's causing them to you know it bless us to our face but curse us inwardly and gather together with others and again build on what's already there maybe adding lies to it listen we got to step back and first of all do business ourselves before god almighty because i think it's easy to get in that place of again always being defensive and how dare anyone judge me and you know all those types of things but if there's truth to what they're saying i i don't know about you but i want to be saved from that i want to be able to be stretched and to grow and to change and sometimes maybe just the trial of this going on god's allowing it to get us on our knees to consider some of these things and i think it's a tragic thing when we go through a trial we go through a persecution or there's even these types of divisions that come up and so forth it's a tragic thing if we don't grow in the lord as a result of them it's a tragic thing that in the midst of a fire, and let's, let's, let's face it, a fire lights things up. You can see more clearly in the darkness when there's a fire. If we can't step back and say, God, search my heart and let me look at myself here and grow in the Lord through it, that, that's a tragic, tragic thing. So if there's things in our life that, again, 
aren't glorifying to God, we want to bring that before the Lord. We want to confess that before the Lord. We want to ask God to change us, to mold us, to make us, to shape us. Because I think very rarely in these types of situations are we totally clean in the unfoldings. Maybe sometimes that happens, but again, our flesh gets involved in a whole lot of things in life. Now, there will be times when there's things that, again, we need to lay down before the Lord Uh, there's going to be times as well where there's just going to be an attack that that is unwarranted, uh, that is, uh, again, slanderous, that is maybe demonically inspired. As someone has sin in their own life and they become vulnerable to demonic influence, Uh, someone that's disgruntled, someone with an agenda, someone wanting to, again, promote their own plans, all the different reasons why these things take place. And in the midst of that, again, David says, notice here, my soul silently waits before God. He doesn't say, you know what, they're slandering me, and I need to go get a loan so I can plot, first and foremost, a verbal defense against my accusers, that I can begin to address all these lies, that I can begin to dig up some dirt on them that I can go spread, and so forth. And we look at the example of Jesus Christ in this. As he went to the cross of Calvary, it says in Acts 8.32, the place in the scripture which he read was this, and this was quoting an Old Testament verse that Jesus fulfilled on his way to the cross. It says, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, notice, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth? So Jesus did not open his mouth in the midst of those accusations. And as a result of that, his justice was taken from him. And how many times where we do open our mouths in the midst of those things? Because, boy, don't allow anyone to take justice away from me. I'm going to get justice served here. But the Lord did not open his mouth in the midst of even all those false accusations. And listen, I think he did that for a multitude of reasons. We see Paul even in talking to the Corinth, those in Corinthians where they're judging him. And he said, your judgment against me is a small thing. Ultimately, God's going to judge me. Ultimately, God's going to judge you. God's the judge. He says, I don't even judge myself in the sense of Paul saying, I don't really fully know myself. I know that God's the judge and so forth. And I really believe here, in part, Jesus did not open his mouth to all those accusations, all those false lies, because if he would have done that, he would have validated them as the judge. And those bringing accusations weren't the judge. And you got to remember when people run around and they become self-appointed judges, slandering you, speaking lies about you, saying one thing to your face and something else in their heart, When we begin to, again, engage that with a verbal defense and so forth, in a way, we're validating them as a judge. We're saying, we're not saying, listen, your judgment's a small thing. We're saying your judgment's a big thing. And I think oftentimes we fall into that trap. Jesus was willing to be silent. That was a step of faith. He was willing to let his justice be taken away from him. Listen, we're living in this age of social justice wherever there should be justice in every little you know minor infraction no matter what and there's certain people around justice 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 while they continually do unjust things you know because it's just our sinful state jesus let it be taken from him he says take my justice away from me 
And he did that, again, not, he did that knowing that eventually justice would be served. He knew eventually, again, God the Father would defend him in the midst of all those accusations. David knew the same thing. At least David knew that he needed to wait on God and God would defend him. This would be a great step of faith. Part of the reason for the psalm is David preaching to himself, I got to wait on God. I got to trust in the Lord. God is my salvation. God is my defense. Because again, in the midst of the situation, we want to react. We want to respond. We want to, again, begin to defend ourselves. We want justice served. This is an unjust thing. But as Jesus let his justice be taken from him, again, God the Father defended him. And this is how God the Father defended him. Acts 10.39 speaks to how God the Father defended him. And we are witnesses of all the things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. But verse 40 says, him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly. I think that's a pretty good defense, don't you? God the Father resurrected him from the grave. That's an awesome defense. And again, we got to know in this, as we wait upon the Lord in the midst of these types of things, these types of scenarios, these types of situations, as we wait upon him, God will go before us. God will strengthen us. And God even tells us that that same resurrection power that rose Christ from the dead, he wants that to indwell in us. Notice Romans eight eleven. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. He's speaking of a second resurrection. He's also speaking of an empowering that God wants to bring through our lives on a day in and a day out basis. But our flesh immediately will always want us to go out and do the work. And when we do that in a way, we're saying, God, I got this one. You know, I want you on standby but I got this one, I'm gonna go take care of this. And again, in our flesh, that seems like the right thing to do, right? You seem to feel justified in it. Hey, they started it. They're the one that said it first, so I'm right to go defend myself and so forth. But we see biblically that we need to go to the Lord. We need to trust in the Lord. We need to lean upon him. We need to take a step of faith. That's very challenging to do in the midst of these types of situations. Notice verse two. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. Now, this is huge. He only, Jesus only is my rock. Jesus only is my salvation. And again, this is of utmost importance, even from an eternal and a practical perspective. Again, we are only saved through faith in Jesus Christ. It's not of works. It's not of our own efforts. Yesterday, I heard a part of an interview. It was a a priest or uh, Ben Shapiro who's an orthodox Jew was interviewing a Catholic priest and he starts off by saying you know what listen uh, as an orthodox Jew do I have any hope of heaven based on your he said Christian but really your Catholic beliefs am I do I have no hope where I am do, am I going to hell where I am and the priest says to him absolutely not you're not going to hell you have a lot of hope And he goes on to explain to him that there is primary salvation through Jesus, but there's also a secondary salvation that comes upon those who just follow their conscience. And if you just do what's good according to your conscience, you have a secondary hope and a secondary means of salvation. 
And then he went through this big discourse of how this is why the Pope can stand up and say atheists will be in heaven. Because if you're an atheist who follows your conscience, then God knows that you have a good intent and that you'll be uh, you know, eventually saved because of your conscience. Well, the Bible speaks about seared consciences. And the Bible speaks about a God, God convicting your conscience of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And the Bible tells us that, again, um, that salvation only comes through him. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourself, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. There's only one means of salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. It is only by faith in him because following your conscience does not deal with the thing that separates you from God, your sin. Only Jesus Christ did that by living a sinless life and taking the wrath to us upon himself. And so we got to remember that positionally, listen, only he is my rock and my salvation. So again, I'm trusting him for my salvation positionally eternally but i'm also going to trust in him in the midst of daily life daily living in the midst of this i gotta remember the lord's my rock we sung that this morning i want to turn to the rock the lord's my salvation the lord can save me out of situations better than i can save myself even the practical ones even the ones that seem so human in nature he is our rock in these things Matthew 7, 24, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them. So we're hearing some saving sayings this morning, and we need to do them. We're hearing this saying here in Psalm 62, David's being slandered. There's an uprising against David. They're gathering together, lying, plotting about him. What's David do? David trusts in the Lord. We're hearing that saying. Jesus says here, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, puts this into practice, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. But it takes a big step of faith in the midst of these things to do that. To say, listen, this is what the scripture says to do and I'm going to do it. I'm not gonna defend myself. I'm gonna trust in the Lord. Now listen, you might need to answer some questions if someone comes and asks you. You may need to, to, to speak to them but this idea of going out and mounting a defense and going out and fighting fire with fire, we got to take a step of faith and say, I'm going to trust in the Lord. And I'm really going to believe that God cares about this situation because he does. Listen, Jesus doesn't say, I know the number of hairs on your head just for, you know, biblical trivia and so forth. He's telling us something there. He says, I know all the details and I care about you. I care about all the things going on in your lives. So again, he's my rock, he's my salvation. And when we hear his words and we act on them, we'll find ourselves sitting on the rock. He says next, he is my defense. And for again, this situation, as David's saying, he's my defense against a slandering tongue. He's my defense against men gathering together to build a case based on lies. He's our defense against Satan who accuses us night and day before the father and listen above all that he is our defense against are you ready for this our own sin our own sin that will damn us to hell but jesus christ is our defense i love hebrews seven twenty five. therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to god through him since he always lives to make intercession for them have you come to god through jesus christ can you say amen to that 
Listen, the Bible says that you are saved to the uttermost. And I know I need defense against myself more than anything else because it's my sin that damned me to hell, not your sin, my sin. Not someone slandering me, my slander, my actions, my lies, my hatred. I need a defense from that. And I have that and you have that through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We have a high standard. And again, when these other things come in, we got to remember again, God's going to defend us in those things as well. If we're honest with him, if we're real with him, if we're stepping back and saying, okay, Lord, what are you trying to show me in the midst of this? I love Isaiah 59, 19. It says, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. And let's remember in all of it, whether it's a slandering tongue, it's the enemy of our soul, it's just our own flesh, the defense and the standard isn't our innocence. Our defense and standard is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's our defense. David also says here, I shall not be greatly moved. I kind of chuckled when I read that. He, he says, I won't be greatly moved. And I think maybe in a way that's saying, I might be swayed a bit, but I'm not going to be greatly moved. You know, trials comes and it's easy to, you know, get knocked back and forth a bit. But he's saying, I don't want to be, you know, going from wall to wall or I might sway, but I'm not going to be greatly moved. Move from what? From waiting on God. Move from praying to God. Move from trusting in the lord there's always going to be temptation to do that and are we ever going to have a place where it's just like i stood firm on the rock you know sometimes we waver a bit on the rock but david's determined to say i won't be greatly moved from the rock and again we got to know we're in a spiritual battle and satan has always wanted to move us from the spiritual and hearing god's word and acting on it to the fleshly saying god okay time to sit down i'm going to tag your hand i got this now from here and we got to remember, we're like James 5, 16 says, the effect of fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. But James 1, 20 says, the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And so do I want to be moved from the things of the spirit to the flesh that doesn't produce the righteousness of God? Or do I want to sit trusting in him, knowing that my prayers, as I'm honest before the Lord, they're going to availeth much. I think this is also a thing of not being called, moved from the call of God upon our lives. And I've seen this many times over the years in the church and in Christianum in general, where there's somebody that, uh, you know, and again, they, 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 they get slandered, they get attacked. Maybe there's some elements of truth to what's being said, but oftentimes, again, the flesh is unfair. They'll begin to build a straw man on top of that. And as a result of that, the individual doesn't take those accusations to the Lord and bring it to God and recognize, oh, wow, this is a biblical thing. This happens from the beginning of the Bible to the end. But instead, that will be something that will really begin to wear them down and begin to cause them to shrink back from the call of God upon their life in the midst of slander and false accusations. And again, their struggle of their sin, these other people, you know, walking in their sin, and they get sidelined by the attacks of men. Happens to a lot of people. And David says, I'm not going to be greatly moved. No doubt, again, he's talking about his prayer closet, but he's also talking about the call of God on his life. Paul addresses this in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. In verse 4, he says, but in all these things, we commend ourselves as ministers of God. And it goes through this long list of persecutions and trials and needs and all these things. In the midst of all this, we commend ourselves as ministers of God. So in other words, we're not going to allow any of these things to cause us to shrink back from our ministry, first to God and then to others. 
And it's interesting in verse 8, he says, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true. And what he's saying here is when people bring an evil report, when people call me a deceiver and people say that I'm dishonorable, I have a, I have a choice to make. Am I going to allow those judgments for men to cause me to shrink back from my ministry or am I going to remember who I am in the Lord Jesus Christ? Am I going to be true with God? If there's any truth then to these accusations, let me bring that before God and ask God to forgive me. Hey, I'm a work in progress. We're all a work in progress, right? But I can't allow that to cause me to shrink back. Because if we do, we're all going to be on the sideline really, really, really quick. Because we're living in a world where these things, again, are exploding around us. Verse 3. How long will you attack a man? You shall be slain, all of you, like a leaning wall and a tottering fence. So he asked the question, how long will you attack a man? I can tell you this. Listen, if you attack back, they're going to attack you a whole lot longer. If you attack back, you could say it's on. But I found when you can turn the other cheek, and biblically we see when we turn the other cheek, listen, that's not just said to be one that represents the Lord, but oftentimes when you turn the other cheek, it squashes the game. You know, a harsh word stirs up wrath, but a gentle word turns away anger. When someone comes against you, you're like, I'm not gonna play the game Oftentimes, you know what, contentious people, what they'll do is they'll move on to another villain to project to. There's just some people that always got to have a villain in their life. They always got to have an adversary. Even if one's not there, they'll, they'll go and seek one out. And a lot of times they'll just move on down the road to the next person. Now, if that happens to you, praise God, but don't fret. There'll always be someone that will come and take their place, right? So there's always a, another thorn ready to come in and, you know what, to... Uh, do what they do. In fact, uh, John 16, 2, it's interesting. Jesus said about, again, end times things. He says, they'll put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think they are offering service to God. And I've found there's oftentimes when people are slandering others, thinking they're offering a service to God. And again, we want to make sure that's not us. We want to check ourselves. And we want to make sure when that's happening to us, that again, we're being honest to God and we're bringing these things to God because man, a whole flesh fest can just break out really quickly when it's like it's on and it's a back and forth. Notice as well, David also says that they're gonna soon be slain that walk in that way. He says they're like a tottering fence. And whenever we get the big storms around here that come in, you see all the tottering fences and what are they? Afterwards, they're no longer tottering, are they? They're, they're, they're face down. They get blown over. It's interesting. We just talked about the life built on the rock and the storms that come. Compare that to the life built on the sand in the same section there in Matthew 7, 26. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine does not do them. He'll be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and it was a great fall. Listen, get this imagery in your mind. In the midst of these types of things, in the midst of wanting to respond to that slander, wanting to respond to that attack, ask the question, do I want my house built on the rock or do I want it built on the sand? Because if we say, I want to shun God's word, I'm going to do it my own way, I'm not going to trust in God, the, wind, the, rain, the wind's going to come us over, there's going to stuff that's going to be knocked down. Listen, these are opportunities to be built up in the Lord. 
as we trust in him in the midst of these types of situations. Notice verse four. They only consult to cast him down from his high place. They delight in lies, they bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. So again, these individuals, they came together and they consulted together with the chief purpose of bashing David and plotting against him, spreading lies, Again, maybe taking a smidget of truth, taking it out of context, building a straw man around it. And bottom line, listen, our fellowship shouldn't revolve around that. Our fellowship shouldn't revolve around, again, the the, the negative. It should revolve around the Lord Jesus Christ. It should revolve around truth. I think about Herod and Pilate after both of them had a a run-in with Christ and neither of them bent knee to him. From that day forward, they became buddies. And what unified them, it wasn't truth. What unified them were lies. And I encourage you to step back and even consider your friendships, your fellowship. Is it based in truth? Is it based on the Lord? Now, again, it's going to be different with the world. The world doesn't know the Lord, and we're called to be in the world, but not of the world. But in our Christian gatherings and so forth, we want those things built on the rock of Jesus Christ. David also says here that they're trying to cast him down from his high position his high position being king of Israel. One thing that is, I think, biblically true, the higher your position before men, the more of this will come your way. And again, I say before men, because God doesn't look at those ranks and orders. He gives us gifts. He wants us to use them for his glory. But the truth of the matter is, the higher position before men, the more of this is gonna come your way, because no matter what you do, when you have an authority over others or leading others, no matter what you do, there's going to be someone who doesn't like it. And so there's more of an increase of these things happening. There's more of a spiritual warfare oftentimes that comes because more souls hang in the balance. And so what do we do knowing that we got to make it our aim to please God? Make it your aim to please God, not men. In fact, Paul said in Galatians 1.10, For now do I persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. And if you're running around in a high position or place of leadership trying to please everybody, you're probably not going to please anybody. And most importantly, you're not going to please God. You got to know my aim needs to please God. And the fallout's going to be what the fallout is. And perhaps those people need to go get before God. He also says here they delight in lies. They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. And just think about this again. If we're in that place that we bless someone to their face while we're cursing them in our heart, or we get into a place where it's a big gossip session against somebody else, and we leave from that without conviction in our heart, if we leave from that delighting in those things, listen, that's a really, really, really bad place to be in. You know, if we're in that place inwardly, we're messed up. Inwardly, that's problematic. Hopefully, there's a, there, there's a conviction when you get in that place and, and that's taken, you know, a, that's come forth where, where it's turned into some sort of gossip session. Hopefully, we would go away convicted by that. Even in our own hearts where, you know, maybe we just ran into someone and then we walk away and inwardly we're cursing them or cursing them next to the person, you know, with us. Let's check ourselves with that this morning, amen? Let's ask the question, 
Do I have a conviction about that? Or have I moved in this place where my heart is not tender, but it's hard-hearted, and I feel justified in that because I have a right to defend myself? Listen, the Father defended Jesus. He let justice be taken away from him. It takes a big step of faith for us to do that. But God will be honored in it. Verse 5, my soul waits silently for God alone, for my expectation is, is from him. Now, David begins to reiterate. He's already said this once, my soul waits silently for God. He reiterates it again. And these are things we got to remind ourselves about over and over and over again, especially in the midst of this, because Satan will tempt over and over again to respond, respond on ourself, mount up that defense. No, I got to wait on God. I got to trust in God. I got to trust in God alone. I need to put my hope fully in him. And see, something wonderful comes out of that. When we fully wait and trust on the Lord our expectation then can be, what's God going to do? What's God going to do with all this? It's a wonderful place to be. Versus saying, let's rally the troops and plead our cause and make stuff happen. Listen, I'll tell you what's going to come. Carnage is going to come out of that. But when you step back and say, let's trust in God. Listen, God can deliver all things. I myself outside of Jesus have a tendency to wreck all things. Verse 6 we see more of a reiteration. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. Again, David's standing in the truth. He's preaching the truth to himself over and over again. Jesus said in John 8, 32, you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. And it's easy to fall into bondages in the midst of these things. I want to walk in freedom. God's called us to walk in freedom every day. That comes when we stand in truth again he adds he's my defense multiple times he's saying this we got to preach this stuff to ourselves over and over and over again he's my salvation he's my glory he is my defense he is my rock and again i shall not be moved i'm gonna say steadfast as satan wants to move me as satan wants to bait me he's dangling it out there wanting me to bite onto that bait but you know what comes with the bait there's always a hook right i gotta stay away from that I don't want to be moved from my position of trusting in the Father. Verse 3, in, or verse 7, uh, in God is my salvation and my glory. Again, another reiteration. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. And as I was studying this this week, there's multiple times where he says, God is my salvation. God is my salvation. God is my salvation. Over and over again. And it was, it was probably about Thursday or Friday, I was kind of, kind of wrapping up my main outline and and it just came into my mind listen isn't that enough (laughs) god is my salvation i mean think about it you know we, we are sinners on our way to hell christ died for us he rose from the grave he sent the spirit of god to convict us he enabled us to call on his name we're saved we have glory before us god's my salvation listen that's more than enough he saved me. He's washed me. If I got some bumps and some, you know, tribulation and turbulence along the way, I, I, I know where I'm going. Again, he is my glory. He's our glory, and he's going to bring us into glory. Is that not enough? We got salvation. We got heaven. And then on top of that, the rock of my strength, my refuge is in God. And just to drive this home all the more, listen, slander will weaken your soul, your spirit, and your knees, whether you're being slandered or you're the slanderer but jesus will refresh he'll restore he will he'll rejuvenate he'll empower 
as we rest on the rock of Jesus. Again, he is our refuge. And he's a refuge where truth is found, where his promises are yes and amen. He won't leave us. He won't forsake us. He'll see you through the storms of life. Hear his word and act on it. Notice verse eight. We're almost done here. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. And again, trust in him at all times. Trust in him in the good times when it's easy to drift. Trust him in the day of trouble when it's easy to run. Trust him in the times of slander when there's great temptation to hit back. Again, pour out your heart to him, not men. You ever be in that place where you're getting slandered, you're getting lied about, and you go, and let me find someone to pour all this out on. You're not edifying that person. You're not building that other person up. Now, there may be time when you need wise counsel. There might be time when there's people who you know are actually going to pray with you and so forth. But we got to even be careful with what we're doing there. Are we crossing unbiblical boundaries when we're doing that? One thing that I do know is that God will hear our prayers at every turn when we get on our face and we cry out to him. And I know this, God can do way more than all the world put together. Pour out your heart before him. Again, that reiteration, God is a refuge for us. He's the one where we can go. He's the one where we can find rest. He's the, where, the place we can find comfort and direction and strength. Now notice verse nine. Surely men of a low degree are a vapor. Men of high degree are a lie. If they are weighed on scales, they are altogether lighter than a vapor. And think about this. How many times when perhaps we've gotten obsessed or over-concerned with uh, slander or these types of situations... Does that ever happen to anyone here? I mean, it, 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 become like, it can become like a little obsession, like a big cloud over you. When was the last time you were obsessed or overly concerned over a vapor coming out of your coffee cup? Oh, it's going to get me. Here it comes. Listen, that little vapor comes out, and then it goes, and it's no longer there. And we are taking bait when we allow men of low degree and even a believer, when they're walking in this way, they're walking in a manner of low degree. When we allow them then to come and have a great power and influence over our lives and overshadow our lives just because they're slandering us or being a hypocrite to our face. But our flesh has a tendency to take a vapor and make it into a storm, a tidal wave. He also says here, men of high degree are a lie. And this is where, again, we got to be careful if we're looking at this and saying, oh, yeah, all those people of low degree, we're of the high degree over here. We're not like those scoundrels over there. Listen, that's a lie. Time to get off your high horse. This is also saying, again, it's the idea of sometimes there are scoundrels that do this. Sometimes there are people of high degree that do this. But ultimately, again, listen, we're all the same before the Lord. And if we weigh us all out, we're like a vapor. It's going to come and it's going to go. Life is very short. And collectively and individually, we better be putting our trust in Jesus Christ because in him and him alone is salvation. It's not found anywhere else that in the cross of Jesus Christ and in his shed blood and faith in him. Verse 10, do not trust in oppression, nor vainly hope in robbery. If riches increase, do not set your heart on them. And again, this is a, contrast versus trusting in the lord trusting the lord for saying well i won't trust in god but i'm gonna 
trust in a plan of opposition or oppression against the oppressor of me. This is saying, you know what, don't vainly hope in robbery. I, I think, you know, you look at the Bible, sin begets sin oftentimes, and it might be a thing where, again, I want to mount an oppression against the oppressor, and then it moves into an offensive robbery against that person. I'll go steal from their person, their character. I'll tear them down to build my case. Also, this is a thing where we can set our hearts on riches. We can set our heart on natural means versus the Lord, and we're told here not to do that. Practically, we don't want to do that. If riches increase, listen, thank God for those things. Give glory to God for those things. But know this, the tighter you grip onto those things, the less you will be gripped onto God. And it's like holding a golden anchor on a sinking ship. Not a good place to be. God has spoken once. Twice I have heard this. The power belongs to God. He reiterates these truths throughout the word of God, but once should be enough, right? Twice I've heard it. Twice should be enough, but we need to hear it over and over again that what power belongs to God, not me. Power belongs to him, so we need to learn to, again, wait on him, to trust in him, to lean on him, and so forth. And then finally, verse 12, also to you, O Lord, belongs mercy, for you render to each one according to his work. This is a, this is a, a, a point of rejoicing. It's also a point of warning. Again, God is merciful, so let's lean on him. Let's trust in him. Let's go to him. He's the one that holds mercy. We need mercy in all these situations, but as he shows us mercy, let's again make sure we extend it to others, for you render to each one according to his work. This is David speaking again. Those that, that, that want to walk and sin, they're like a tottering fence. God will deal with them, but this is also a warning to us. As God's been merciful to us, Let's make sure we're merciful to others as well, even the one that's slandering you, even the one that's lying about you. It's easy to put the mercy card down and pick up the ruthless card, right? Well, listen, it's on. I can put on my Jesus gangster mode right now because they're the one that started it. Wait a minute. What about the mercy that God's shown you? What about the mercy he's shown me? What about, again, those verses we started with where he says, don't take everything to heart because you know you've done that yourself. You know you've cursed others. You know that you've lied about others. Again, it's our flesh tendency to do that. And yet God's shown us mercy. Listen, if he wasn't merciful based on these own scriptures right here of our tongue, we would all be dust right now in this room. God shows us mercy. And if you're saying, well, not me. Not, that's not me. That's them. Get off your high horse, son. Because you're believing a lie. The Bible says men of high degree are a lie. We're all sinners. We all fall short. Now, I know there's some, this is more of a sin that ensnares them than others. That's true. But again, the Bible declares we've all been guilty of this. We've all been guilty of being the hypocrite, of being the slanderer, of being the liar, of being the one that rallies people around, and yet God has been merciful to you. Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad when there's been those times you've been part of a gossip session and you went away convicted and you said, oh, Lord, what's wrong with me? Will you forgive me? And the Lord did. So again, he's going to render us according to our works. We want to trust in him. We want to lean on him. Matthew 5, 7, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And compare that to James 2, 13, 
for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy mercy triumphs over judgment and boy we need a lot of it we need we need mercy on top of mercy upon mercy i'm so glad that that jesus is coming and one day that we will no longer be subjected to these sin natures this is going to be glorious in eternity there'll be no striving there will be no plotting no planning no slandering you know that, that, that it's going to be perfect unity in the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I just pray by his grace and mercy that, that we can get closer to that practically as the day of the Lord returns. Can we say amen to that this morning? Let's stand up and, and we'll close here in prayer. And we're going to close with a worship song to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day. And we do thank you for your great goodness to us, God. I thank you, Lord, that your word is just so true and it's so practical. It addresses real things that take place in real life. Lord, our tongue gets us in a lot of trouble and Lord, tongues and words oftentimes, they cut and they hurt deeply, God. And we need your aid and your mercy and all of it, God. I would really, really pray, God, you'd help us to take these things to heart. Lord, as we hear these things, that we can act on them. And we can only do that, God, through the work of the Holy Spirit. So please, this morning, God, fill our hearts afresh. And Lord God, we're, Lord, as individuals and God, as groups, Lord, even as a fellowship, Lord, where we have been guilty of these things, Lord, in times past, Lord, if there's things in these areas and arenas we haven't brought before you, Lord, I would hope and pray that we could bring it before you right now, God, and ask for your forgiveness. God, I ask you to, washes of these things and lord help us to walk in victory and keep short accounts lord with you in these matters god oh lord it'd be a tragic thing god if we speak of these things we open your word today and we just leave here and forget these things god these things are truths to glorify you and they're things to help us in our life to be able to walk in the joy of the lord and so forth so just help us god and listen if you're here today if you haven't called on the name of jesus christ listen we're all sinners Again, we have all greatly fallen short of God's glory, and that's where his son comes in. Jesus Christ lived a sinless life. He went to the cross of Calvary to, to die for you, to take the wrath to you and me upon himself. And praise God as sin's our in, enemy. Jesus defeated sin and death when he rose from the grave. That if we have trust in him, we can know that we have salvation, that we'll spend eternity with him. I hope we've all called on him. If you haven't, listen, today's the day of salvation. Today's the day that the Lord wants to meet you where you're at. And perhaps all of us, maybe all of us in this room know him, but if you don't, listen, call on him today. Call on him even right now. Even right now, ask him to be your Lord and your God, and he will meet you where you're at. Oh, Lord, if there's any in that place, God, just, God, go before them, God. Assure them of your goodness, of the plan of salvation that you have for them. And God, we want to pray, Lord, if any are calling on you right now, that you'd fill them with your spirit, God. Lord, wash them, God, and meet them where they are as only you can. Lord, we want to finish well. We want to lift our voices to you. Let's worship him right now. Let's give praise to our God. Let's give him the praise that is due him. Came sin who knew no sin that we might become 
His righteousness, He humbled Himself and carried the cross. Love so amazing, love so amazing, Jesus Messiah.
Amen. Well, listen, there's, there's good news, especially for first service people, old first service people. Usually, you got to get out of here so other people can come in. You, you got time to fellowship right now, to interact with others. I want to invite any prayer counselors here this morning to come up front as, as we close. And listen, if you want to get pray, pray with, prayed with or pray with someone, there'll be people up here. Uh, encourage someone before you leave today. The cafe is open out there. And then tomorrow at, at 4 p.m. is the Christmas Eve service. So come out and be blessed with that. Uh, also, reminder, 8 o'clock, we, we're going to have prayer. There's about 20, 25 of us down there this morning, and it was just a wonderful, wonderful time of prayer, and uh, it was just a good, good time. So again, if, if, you, if you're going out of town, we just pray that God will bless you, he'll shine his face on you, and uh, that, that you'll have a, a wonderful week and uh, the rest of the day in the Lord Jesus Christ. So God bless you.